This podcast is brought to you by Always, Secret, Venus, and Walmart. Welcome to the Hungry Hearts Podcast, a place for all of us to come and feed our souls. Hey, y'all, welcome back. I am your host, Amina Brown, and I'm so happy you're joining us for this episode of the Hungry Hearts Podcast. Today, we're looking at what it means to take a bet on yourself with Nkosi Mabaso. Sometimes the path to our purpose is filled with difficult challenges and obstacles. Sometimes the path to a better life will not be easy. Along the way, you may experience delays and setbacks, but that doesn't mean you should give up. Sometimes it means you should access your perseverance and determination, and sometimes it will require divine intervention. If you're looking for inspiration on persevering, look no further than Nkosi Mabaso. Listen in as Nkosi shares her story of persistence and divine intervention with her big sis, Glennon Doyle, on our Fayetteville, Arkansas stage. First, would you tell these lovely folks how you and I became big sister and little sister? Well, a long time ago, no. Uh, uh, I am originally from Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, and oh, yes, thank you. <laughs> and I had come to the U.S. for college and uh, was having my first spring break and we decided to go visit Mom Oprah, uh, Oprah Winfrey, uh, <laughs> for spring break. And uh, Glennon was one of the people that was doing Super Soul conversations uh, during that time. And we had dinner with her and her sister. Now, Mom Oprah has a lot of people over for dinner. And, you know, usually it's like, you know, these people like that you know when you want to like make a good impression and not embarrass Oprah, <laughs> you know, at the dinner table. But like she was the first normal person. Not that anybody else is not normal. Like, I, we met Kerry Washington, and the whole time I was just like, Olivia Pope. Like, <laughs> you know, like, Olivia Pope is like here. Where's the president? Like, what's happening next? That's all I was thinking about. So, like, suddenly it was Glennon, and she was talking about her life, and she was laughing and crying and had struggles, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I want that one. Like, I want her number, I want her email, and I want to keep in touch, because... Like, this is the most relatable person I have ever met in this space. And so I, I had to keep her. And that's how this So is. sweet. What they actually said to me, her and her two friends that were there, is that they came up to me after dinner and they said, oh, can we be friends with you? Everyone else who comes here is so fancy and smart. And I was like trying my hardest to be fancy and smart that day, so. You did great. Thank you. I, I felt, I mean, it's tough, it's hard. Okay, so um, can you tell us, because this is a big jump that you've just told them we came from um, South Africa, yeah, we end Oprah. up with Oprah. Can you just slow that story down a little bit and just like explain how we got from A to B? Great. Yes, so I was born and raised in a township in the east of Johannesburg, South Africa. And I grew up uh, with an, a dad who was a pastor, 
but also an abusive man. And I had an alcoholic and gambling addict mother. So that was like, uh, <laughs> there was always a fire in the house, basically. Like, they're always fighting. Like, you drank, so I'm hitting you. It's like, oh, but you hit me, and that's why I'm drinking. And so it was like the cycle of them hurting each other, and we got to see it. It's a four-room house with two bedrooms. There's no room to go. Like, you literally see it everywhere. We can hear our mom crying, even if they're in their own room. And then we got the beatings too. So it's not like, you know, my dad didn't discriminate. If you, if you needed discipline, he was your guy and he will do it. And so uh, I grew up with that uh, struggle and, you know, witnessing my mom getting abused. And then when I was 10 years old, my mom decided that she had had enough. And so she just got up one day and said, I'm going to the store, I'll be back and then didn't come back uh, for two years straight. And like that was already sad for me because you know it's my mom, I'm a young girl, I'm trying to have a mother-daughter relationship, I want her love, uh, but then she left me with responsibilities that I was not prepared to handle at the age of 10. Uh, my little brother, the youngest one, was six months old. Um, then I had another one who was two years old, and then my little sister was seven years old. And as the oldest girl, although I was 10, I was suddenly supposed to be my mom, and like cook and clean and take care of the kids and take care of my father and basically do everything. And so I did my best at 10. Um, and then that was like, although that was bad, school was heaven. Like school was amazing. I got to be a kid, I was playing, getting chased by little boys, having crushes. I was like, this is great. And then go back home, then be the mother, have my little brother on my back, do the chores, cook, save the day, and then repeat it again the next day. Um, and when I got to the sixth grade, which was you know two years, my little brother was starting to walk and talk a little. It had become easier to deal with that situation. Um, my teacher just randomly one day in my math class said, if I could take you to the Oprah school, I would. Like before that, I didn't even know Oprah had a school. Like I just knew she had a show that I watched when I was doing my chores with my little brother on my back. And you know, she was like, you get a car, you get a car. And I was like, oh, this is so great. <laughs> and I used to cry and clap and I was like, I want a car too, or maybe a house. You know, I was just like, or maybe find my mom, just like do one of those things for me, Oprah, you know. But she was so far that I was like, Oprah school, <laughs> funny, like nice joke, teacher. Like, let's carry on with class. But as soon as she said that, actually a boy came in and was like, they need you at the office, like right now. And she rushed to the office. And then they came back to get me to get to the office, uh, which was a little panic moment for me because you know I followed rules, tried to avoid beatings. And so I was like, no, I'm the model student. I'm a prefect. They don't need me at the office, but I'll go explain to them that I'm the wrong girl. <laughs> so I went and they're like, you're not in trouble. Like, we're just trying to change your life. Uh, call your dad. Uh, we actually have the application forms to the Oprah School, but they do today. So call your dad, like right now, tell him to bring everything and we're gonna do this and so my dad was there and we applied and like it was me and two other girls because it's an all-girls boarding school and just when we were about to fix the page like we did it and we we're about to fix the application forms our school fax machine didn't work because we're in a township school and you know the government couldn't care less about us and so we, we make a plan we like my father has a little van that's broken down we take that we go to the nearest internet cafe in the neighborhood and try to fix the papers again and still that doesn't work also 
and there is no other internet place nearby and there's no other facts nearby. So we give up at the end of the day and we say, well, we tried and probably was not gonna happen anyway. And we let it go. But before we leave, one of the mother of the other two girls says to my teacher, thank you so much for trying for our students. And because of that, I just wanna give you a little money. Please buy yourself a drink, you know, like just thank you so much. And instead of buying a drink, my teacher takes that money and on a Saturday morning, she pours gas in her car and she drives to the school to go deliver the application forms herself. And, she, and then she comes back on Sunday. She was like, I did it. I went to the school. And if you go there, it would literally be paradise because they all knew what I was going through at home. She's like, this would be your big break. This would change your life completely. And so we waited to hear from the school and we didn't for months. But like already I was in awe that my teacher would do that for us, you know, would like literally take that money and try change my life and like make sure that it got to the gate. And even when it got to the gate, she's like the security guy might throw it away or maybe they might not accept it because it's late, but I had to try. And so that's how I actually applied to the school and they took me all. <laughs> so that is the fun part. I got in. And I was the only one, but I got it. Are there any teachers in the house tonight? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, wow. Okay. So one of the things that you told me, because this was a major life change to then enter the Oprah School with all of these opportunities and amazing um, other young women, you told me that Oprah said to you um, and to the other girls, I can open doors for you, but you will have to decide if you are worthy to walk through them. So tell us what that quote means to you and how that quote led you to be on this stage right now in this moment. Okay, well, we had that talk because I was like crying about taking computer sciences at Skidmore College got to the US, never even thought that would be a thing where I attend a college in the United States, but I was there. And you know, my mother was like, you're supposed to be <laughs> losing your mind and being like, this is great. But I was like, well, there's all these boys who've been coding since they were two. And like, I was busy like raising my little brother and like, I don't know how to code. Like they knew psychologist, what was psychologist at five. And I didn't know that till I got to college. And so like, basically I feel inadequate. And she was like, but you are in the room. Do you know how many people actually just want to be in the room? Like not only to just maybe take up space, but to get in the room. You are in the room. You are with these boys. It doesn't matter if their dad paid for them, if they know someone who knows someone, and like if they, they were destined to be at Skidmore from the age of two. Like you, your life made no sense, and you shouldn't be there, yet you are sitting in that room. And see, like, so you need to see the power of that and own that, and, and that's how you're gonna be able to take up the space. It's like nobody brings what you bring in that room, and that's exactly why you should be happy that you're in that room. So I was like, yeah, that's nice, mom. Oh, I'll think about it, you know. That's very inspirational. She does that, she drops like big quotes. Yes, when we you know, like, we know. <laughs> when you're trying to like get a little symbol, I'm like, just, just let me cry, please. She's like, no, you decide you are worthy. I'm like, it's great, thanks, like, I'll try that. So, you know, 
So I grappled with it, but eventually I decided I really am here. Yeah. I am in the room, I am at Skidmore, even though I didn't think I would be, even if I feel like I don't deserve to be there, the fact is I am there. And so now what do I do there with, like I bring myself, how can I bring myself into the space and like celebrate the fact that out of all the odds, my parents not having been educated, my parents not having left the country ever, how do I celebrate that I'm here? And so I just decided I'm gonna take a risk and actually do the crazy thing where I like believe in myself. And so now that's what I try to do. So when you said, do you wanna speak? I was like, uh, yes. I mean, I did regret it after our talk, <laughs> but I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take a bet on myself and I'm actually gonna believe that, I, yes, everybody here has a Wikipedia page. So you can imagine, I was really stressed. <laughs> I was like, nobody knows who I am. I didn't even know if you'd scream when I was coming out. I was like, please do, somebody, anybody, <laughs> Everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, yes. my dear, I think that you were born for this. Thank you. And I'm here. And you're here. And 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 the next thing we're gonna do is make you a Wikipedia page. <laughs> yes. We love you. Thank you for believing you were Thank worthy you. to be here tonight. Every time I hear Nkosi's story, I feel, I feel my feelings. From overcoming a difficult home environment to her teacher in South Africa pressing her way to drop off that application to Oprah's Academy to now being in college and surmounting all of these odds that were against her, Nkosi is living proof that so many moments and so many people play a role in each of us getting to exactly where we are supposed to be in our life. You need people who believe in you, who will champion you, who will open doors for you. But it's up to you to persevere and believe that you are worthy of good things. Thank you for sharing that with us, Nkosi. We're back next week for this season's final episode with 16-year-old climate justice activist Isra Hersey to talk about forging a path. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can check us out on all the socials at Together Live Events, and you can say hey to me at Amina B-E-E. -E. On this episode of Hungry Hearts, you heard from Nkosi Mabaso, Glennon Doyle, and me, Amina Brown. Thank you to our podcast sponsors, Always, Secret, Venus, and Walmart. <laughs>